Hello, and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and last week, I nearly amputated my left thumb. (gasps) I was removing a stone from an avocado with a knife. Yes, I know, typical millennial. Just wait till I tell you I was adding it to a kale salad. So you know the thing where you put the knife in and you twist the knife to get the stone out? Well, it slipped. The blade of the knife went dunk across my thumb. I screeched out of shock, dropped the avocado and looked down. I was expecting a scene from a horror film, but I was surprised to see no blood. The knife had very luckily hit the tough skin on my thumb that I've developed over the years from playing the cello. My tank armour, if you will. I'd shrieked because I'd felt the knife against my thumb, but realised it didn't actually hurt because it didn't break the skin. It's lucky my knife wasn't very sharp, I guess. So, musos, you've got to be careful with knives. If you're a cellist, well, I wish I could say it's motivation to keep practising your octaves. Dig out that copy of Popper 13. I mean, this makes it sound like I have. I haven't. Apologies for the niche cello geek reference there. But you never know, octaves might save your life one day. It's very fortunate that my musical career didn't come to a swift end there, though you'd probably have more podcast episodes if that were the case. Speaking of podcasts, on with it. Today's episode is part two of my chat with cellist Madeline Ridd. If you haven't already, I'd highly recommend listening to part one in episode two first, as we jump back in mid-conversation. She's spoken about her struggle with her mental health, which led her to stop performing for several years, upon which she embarked on a career in teaching. Have a listen now to how she got back into playing, and besides playing the cello, what her superstar talent is. So sort of going back to your path, Mm -hmm. so you've spent how many years teaching solidly? I mean, I say teaching solidly. I would get the odd gig. I'd do some weddings or some chamber concerts, but it would be literally taking the cello out, dusting off the cobwebs and putting it (laughs) away for another six months. I didn't have a complete break from playing, but it was not my main source of income. And it was certainly something that was associated with a lot of kind of disappointments. So most of my 20s, I was full-time teaching mm-hmm. I would I would say full-time teaching sort of six days a week from leaving academy at the age of 20 ooh, 23 and then it was a good five or six years before I started approaching the cello again and then what made you approach the cello um again? a lot of different factors partly feeling calmer in in lots of areas of my life and having established that I could make a career as a musician and I didn't have to be playing in an orchestra it was mm-hmm. a big thing that I I was really proud of what I'd achieved as a teacher it took me a long time to be able to say oh I'm actually a musician rather than I would say I'm a music teacher or I'm doing this or I'm yeah I'm, I'm a struggling um, or whatever because just, the term musician is so broad it can, it can it? cover many many different things and for most people it does you know yeah. that's one of the joys of doing something that has so many different facets is that you know I can be teaching one day I can be playing in an orchestra the next day and recording the next day there were different factors but the first time I started started playing again it was purely for my own enjoyment I would get together with friends and play through repertoire I wouldn't even do concerts necessarily I would just play for the the joy of it and just very very gently at first with the encouragement of a very 
very loving partner as well was a big factor mm-hmm. a lot of encouragement from friends and I started feeling oh what well, you know what I could actually start conceiving of a world where I started playing the cello again and I thought back to my time at academy and I thought who was it that I really liked then that wasn't necessarily a teacher that I came across much but who would be somebody nice to play and there was this amazing lady Karen Stevenson who is oh, number yes. two cellist with pneumonia yeah. and I remember her coming into academy and being so kind and so sweet and, and the most amazing teacher and so I, I, I emailed the academy and I said I remember this lady called Karen can you is there any way you could put me in touch with her so I started having lessons with Karen every few months and gradually getting back into shape I mean it took a long time I, mean, for, I remember trying to play the cello for the first time in a few years and I could play for about 20 minutes and I had to stop (laughs) seriously because it's very physically demanding and my uh, my shoulders were killing my fingers were hurting I was was, yeah Yeah. I was completely uh, useless and so I started gradually having lessons with Karen and I sort of said to her right I want to pursue this seriously and she's like great that's yeah. that's what we'll do then so what sort and, of things we would you bring to your lessons um after having had a break sweets I would do yeah, I got the occasional lunchtime recital for the for the fun of it nothing paid so some unaccompanied worked some sonatas with a very dear friend of mine who's a pianist um and we would put on recitals like that nothing orchestral at this stage yeah sure and then I gradually started thinking I was going to concerts and for most of my 20s I'd gone to concerts I'd gone to the proms or to the festival hall and I'd seen my friends and my peers from academy in orchestras and just thought well that's never going to be me and that would make me really sad and then I started going along and I was like you know what there's no reason why that shouldn't be me Mm -hmm. and I want that to be me and that was the really big kind of change I was like you know what I actually really want that and it was a very different thing to be approaching that in my late 20s early 30s thinking if this not the be all and end all I don't need to get a job straight out of academy I sort of thought when I came out of academy that if you don't walk your way into an, an orchestral job you've basically failed you yeah. know I think and that's that's something that a lot of people think I wish someone had told me no 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 <laughs> you, you do a few auditions you get better at it you get a you, bit of extra you work, work you, yeah. you do a bit of teaching you do a bit of playing to people you have some bad auditions you have some good auditions mm-hmm. you gradually work your way up the ladder and and of course it makes sense now but you know when you're a 22 nobody tells you this yeah everything's just so black and white it's isn't so it so black and white and you think well I have failed those have those people have succeeded <laughs> I have failed and I started watching these people and I was like I, it's going to be worth the knocks that I want it enough I want it badly enough that I am willing to do an audition again mm-hmm. and it was a very long slow process but I I gradually started getting back into shape playing more regularly and playing to people in orchestras and trying to pick up a little bit of extra work and it's very hard as a well I was about 30 by then to be at this at the stage where most people are sort of at 21 orchestras would take a chance on you which they don't as the 30 year old so it was quite hard and I would play to these people and they'd say yes we'll put you on the extra list we'll we'll make you a reserve player yeah but nothing would then happen and it's that catch 22 of nobody will give you experience without experience yeah that's true and so I remember saying to Karen we were having lunch and I was like this is so depressing I've been working really hard and playing better than I ever have I've I'm in better shape than I ever have but nobody will give me work they don't want to take a chance and I don't blame them because I don't have anything on my CV yeah people in my position at my age have 10 years experience and they have this amazing CV they've got you know uh, trials here they've got extra work here etc and Karen was like okay well you just need one orchestra to give you a a chance and if I got you into the Philharmonia for one gig I bet it would all turn around and I was like oh that's that's really lovely of you but you know obviously it's never going to happen she's like let me see what I can do I was like that's really nice but it's never going to happen and then later that day the manager of the Philharmonia rang me and she he said Karen's had a word with me can you come in in March and it was like all Christmases and 
all birthdays happening at the same time. And it was just the most exciting thing. I told all my friends, all my family, and it was just a, a dream come true. And I, I worked very, very hard. I learned the repertoire. I practiced for about two months and I went in with the Philharmonia and it was just the, the most incredible privilege. And I was chatting with my desk partner and she was like, oh, this is nice. Your first gig with the Philharmonia. Have you got anyone coming? I was like, well, my parents are over there. My <laughs> sister's there. My husband's up in the gallery. We've my best house. friend from college and her parents are there. And then my, my two friends from uni, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So yes, I think that's really, really nice to hear people who are super appreciative of it's, the opportunities well, they get. Because, yes. I mean, that's one yes. of my pet peeves is when you hear about people who, obviously, everyone works hard mm-hmm. and People work hard to get these opportunities and then when mm-hmm. they finally get them, all they can do is complain. Yes. Have you oh, come across that those really, people? really annoys me. I mean, I've, I've been sitting with people in orchestral sections who were just like looking at their clocks and bored and, and making quite loud, quite rude remarks about the conductors, yeah. you know, and I just think you are so privileged to be here and exactly. I will never, I mean, that's one of the... There are hundreds of musicians lining mm, up for your yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's one of the gro- good things about approaching these gigs as a 30-something rather than 20-something because I'm just so glad to be there and I've realised, I've made my living as a musician for the last 10 years and anything I now get is a bonus on top of that mm-hmm. and it's so exciting for me. If the phone rings, it is I can't tell you how excited I, I am when the Philharmonia rings or the LPO or whoever it might be, Bournemouth. And as soon as that wears off, I think I will stop because that when once the sheen is worn off, it's just you're going to become jaded. It has, be, it has to be special, it doesn't has it? To be special. And I think that's why it's so important to have a mm. bit of a portfolio career, isn't it? Absolutely, because yes. That way, everything excites. Everything you. is exciting, yeah. and no week is the same as the last week. You know, you asked me what I was doing this week. I was doing a champion music concert on Thursday. The week before that, I got a last minute call from the Philharmonia. Mm-hmm. You know, and then another week I might be recording a film soundtrack and and I'm so lucky that I have these friends who come along and who live all these excitements with me and are so appreciative for me and they realize how much it means to me and you know I've I've gone in to concerts we were talking about John Williams I went into a I think it was a James Bond concert and I was around these musicians going like oh no it's James Bond again and I was sitting there going ding down 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 and I was just <laughs> having the time of my life I was so excited yeah yeah, yeah. you need people like that it's, at gigs though yeah absolutely to keep it alive and I really I will never stop appreciating it and you really appreciate the people who have given you a leg up along the way I mean people like Karen you know it would never have happened without her without having a really loving husband to support me through this a really incredible network of friends who've always encouraged me but at the same time not beating me up when I wasn't doing it just being like well you do what you need to do and I take a lot of pride in my teaching I think I'm a good teacher and I think there are a lot of people who do teaching who aren't good at it and it really annoys me I know we talked a lot about pet peeves but I run into people from music college and they'd say oh what are you doing now it's like well I'm mostly teaching and they'd be sort of like oh never mind oh, it will pick up like, no actually I'm really proud of yeah, what yeah, I yeah. do and yeah. uh, actually because you're you're going to become someone's Mavis yeah absolutely you know? that is my That's, goal yeah if totally. I'm someone's Mavis in my 80s I will have made it that will be yeah, yeah. I will be very very happy yeah that is a bit of a shame when people say mm. oh oh don't mm. worry yeah oh. yeah it won't be forever like, yeah, yeah. Oh. it's just like yeah you, you, you got to do a bit of teaching. Although mm. I will say, I think you got to do the right amount of teaching. Yes, it can it can be very all consuming and um, exhausting. And it's not only that, but as as you know, there's so much admin as a freelance as a freelancer. I'm sure in any area, but as a musician, you know, you are sending invoices, you are doing timetabling, you are trying to manage your your, your emailing, diary, your emailing, emailing parents, your emailing parents. You are sending your CV round to fixers. It is uh, there's a huge amount of admin, and it's not just the hours that you're actually working there's the hours that you're traveling as well and Mm. 
it can be very demanding and and exhausting so it is a question of finding the balance yeah so having come out the other end (laughs) how are things looking for you now I am happier than I ever thought I could be you seem Um, very happy I'm incredibly happy I'm incredibly lucky and privileged and I will never forget how lucky I am to be here and anytime the phone rings I'm super excited chamber music as I said is is starting to come now and that's a huge joy because I haven't really done it since I was at college and yeah I've, I've got the right amount of teaching I now just do two schools it's about half a week so the the rest of the half of the week I'm practicing I'm hoping the phone will ring mm-hmm. or I'm catching up on my admin or just having a rest yeah. as, as on this there's, weekend and as no you've said having a rest as you've said yourself many times that as a musician you don't you you're not doing the sort of five day week you you're often working at the weekend or a day off isn't really a day off because you're practicing for mm-hmm. the next gig you are catching up on emails and you know so uh, even though I sort of on paper I do kind of three days a week of teaching rather than six that I used to it's obviously a lot more than that yeah really it's harder to quantify our Absolutely. work as musicians yes. when yes. you can't write down all yes. that stuff and in this your diary. is another thing that annoys me when people try and beat you up beat you down on things like your rate like oh that's a bit steep for a wedding or that's a bit much for your teaching like I've been working at this craft <laughs> since I was four years old you know I've ha- I've got an expensive instrument that requires repairs I've bought music along the years I've done all this stuff and that's the that's the expertise that you're getting with that fee yeah um you know you pay peanuts you get monkeys uh, yes exactly and also that was one of the things that used to bother me I think when I wasn't playing was that you know most of us started learning when we were very young and what other job could you have started perfecting your craft at four years old and 21 not be able to find a job I mean if you'd started plumbing when you were a four-year-old, you'd be the greatest plumber in the world or, you know, or uh, sewing. Or it, it would just be impossible that you would not have a good job at the age of 21. Yeah. And yet I know fantastic musicians who have gone from trial to trial to trial who are not in an orchestra, who clearly should be and who clearly are as good as the people who are. And it's just been the audition, the playing on the date, the luck of being in the right place at the right time. You know, there's so much random factors. Relationships like you're miles away from your partner or you know you're or you're working in a a different place from where your family is all these struggles it goes back to what you said before about how you never know what kind of personal grievances people absolutely are suffering you don't know what through. people are going through and that does affect your work ultimately of course you can never really judge completely no yeah. no exactly i'm really really glad to hear that you're happy i am what would you suggest to people to get help as you were saying earlier, it's very important that we talk about these things and that to know that you aren't alone. A lot of really successful, amazing people have been through mental health struggles. I mean, I don't know the statistics. I'm not an expert, but it, it affects a lot of people. It's something like, I think I, I pulled up an article this morning. It was like two thirds of musicians or something. Yeah, it does not surprise me at all. And probably something like one in four of the population. I mean, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. But so talk to people, talk to your friends. Don't be ashamed about it. We need to get rid of the stigma. I had an incredible therapist. That was a huge factor. But a huge part of the therapy for me was doing something for myself that was entirely unrelated to my day job, which you can probably, I can see you smiling at me. I have always found drawing and painting incredibly cathartic. I've done it since I was a child, Mm -hmm. whether it was making birthday cards or Christmas cards or, you know, 
doing unwanted uh, wall paintings or whatever whatever <laughs> it happened to be I've always found that a very good yeah. channel for my creativity yeah. that was not the music I and think that's really good advice yes. is to have a channel that's not necessarily related to music but just something something else unrelated something that isn't the day job that doesn't have the pressures the competition the I must make money of this I must get to you know that all of those are completely mm-hmm. removed you're doing it entirely for your own pleasure and fulfillment and for me for some people it's it's running it's cooking it's writing whatever yeah. it doesn't matter what it is I guess if you um, think about like any other job if you're mm. working in an office or something and then mm. you go home on Friday night and that weekend is all for yourself yes think of all the pursuits that those types of people exactly go exactly. after yes so yes. it's the same for us as well mm-hmm. um, we need to remember to have our hobbies and absolutely our, and the th- things that we enjoy yes I think that's a pretty good segue into oh. um just so so neatly done there <laughs> effortlessly done. oh totally <laughs> pretty good segue into my next question you're actually a published author and I illustrator I so am. I want you to tell us about your journey in creating your children's book Millie's brilliant birthday plan <laughs> well as I was saying the art has always been very cathartic for me it's been such a source of comfort when I wasn't getting anywhere with the music I've, I've never stopped drawing and painting and I was lucky enough to get onto a sort of evening class that was all about creating picture books for kids. I've worked with kids for a long time and I've always loved working with children. And, and when um, was this? Was this in your 20s? This was in my 20s. It was one of my, I'm not going to be a musician, what can I do kind of uh, <laughs> questions. Unfortunately, being sort of a, an artist is obviously riddled with all sorts of very similar. <laughs> and Maybe, yeah, other, faced with the know. same problems there. <laughs> exactly. It was not It was not a, an easy path. But so I got onto an evening class run by this amazing artist called Claire Alexander, who's a published uh, children's illustrator and writer. And so I was going along to evening classes each week. I met the most incredible a group of people it's really lovely I mean obviously you'll know this Davina that you know as a musician you spend a lot of time with other musicians they're they're great they're lovely people they're in- intense but one of the nice things about doing an evening class or something unrelated to music is that you're thrown into the company of people that you wouldn't otherwise have come across from different walks of life who have a shared passion and there's there's nothing that starts conversations more than a shared passion you know yeah. so we were you know, comparing our favorite artists authors our favorite kids books and it, not feeling embarrassed about being geeky about Quentin Blake or you know uh, whoever it is that you've admired and it's a lovely atmosphere to work in and under the guidance of an amazing teacher but also when you're in that kind of environment you get so much from the people on the class because you're all drawing you're all showing for, for me and for some of the people on the class I think you're showing your work to other people for the first time because something that you've created and if you're not like me in any way professionally qualified to do to draw or, or uh, paint you know you feel that putting your work in front of people can feel very vulnerable and I know that sounds silly as someone who performs for a living yeah. but but um, that's the same I guess if we're like playing yes, for friends or something absolutely yes it can be yes. absolutely frightening to play it can be really frightening to show to show something you've created to someone else for the first time who is not in a position where they have to say yes that's lovely darling you know um <laughs> so I, w- I started showing my drawings to people and I'd, I'd as I said I'd done cards and and sketches for many years and I'd always enjoyed it very much and I began creating this story about this little pig called Millie it took me about five years from start to finish just wow. from the the early sketches of this little pig and then giving her little kind of scenarios that she was in and with her and her mother and uh, she, then she was in her school and then I started coming up with this story that is all about her trying to do something special for her mother no spoilers no spoilers um it's all about uh, a little pig trying to do something special for her her mum's birthday but she gets thwarted um along the way and she's trying to 
create something nice and the moral being that things don't have to turn out the way you plan for it to be okay so quite indicative of the journey that you I was thinking at, at uh, this morning that I was like oh you know what this is highly automatic <laughs> <laughs> wait I'm Millie <laughs> there's a lot of Millie in me and there's a lot of me and Millie um, no it's yeah I think it's it's nice to have uh, I mean a message is probably a bit of a, 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 a sort of strong way of saying it, but the, you know, you you want children to take something away from it. From oh, absolutely, book, you know? yeah. So I was drawing the this character. I was, I mean, when I look back at the early sketches, I thought they were brilliant, and then I look at them now, and I'm like. They're really like, not, oh, they're how not far good. I have yeah. come. It's yeah. really nice to see. It's like with your playing to see how far it's come. And it is always, always a dream that one day maybe it would be published. And obviously that seemed like a very unattainable kind of dream. And I sent it to various publishers, didn't get anywhere. And then a sort of friend of a friend suggested, oh, try these publishers up in Worcester. And they said, yes, we want to publish this. And again, it was like the unforgettable kind of feeling that somebody yeah. actually wants to publish your work. And five years later to hold the actual book in your hands as a concrete thing it was just so so exciting for yeah. me and it's the end of it, like such a long journey isn't absolutely, it absolutely yes and, and yes. you can finally just see the results of yes. all that hard work and I think yes. that's something that a lot of people can learn from especially mm-hmm. a lot of students when mm. or people who don't really understand the value of music or the mm. arts it's because they don't have that kind of thing to hold in yes. their hands to yes. show the result of all that hard work yes. they just think well mm. I've been learning the D major scale for yes. however long yeah, exactly what end yes yes but it's it's a big build-up of all mm. these things things mm-hmm. that results yeah. in just indescribable 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 I want to say indescribable moments of joy yes yeah. yes it was the most incredible feeling and I am somebody who I, I for my personal tra- trajectory through life uh, each year of my life seems to get better and better and happier and happier and during really dark time in my 20s if someone had held my hand and been like you're going to be married to an amazing man you're going to be a published author you're going to have played with a philharmonia you know all these incredible things that you just need to stick it out and wonderful things will happen and I've been very very lucky and privileged I I will always keep drawing and and painting and hopefully it will bring me as much joy as it it always has so can we look forward to a a sequel (laughs) well I mean we're talking about a movie one day no (laughs) I would love to do a sequel. Yes, I'm slightly stumped for ideas at the moment. Although I am doing sketches for a, a new story about a flamingo. At the oh, moment, lovely. So, um, well, that's, watch the crea- space. that's the creative <laughs> process, isn't it? I know exactly what it's like when you just feel like, oh, mm. goodness, there's nothing coming out of me. A musical um, flamingo. <laughs> a musical flamingo. Well, yes. That, well, that would be a the flamingo thing. who dances the flamenco. You say that, but this flamingo plays a banjo. So, uh, sure. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, it's work in progress. Lovely. Well, you have to keep us updated on that. I certainly will. So let's move on now. Yes. I did tell you that there'd be some surprise questions. You did. That scared me a little bit. But really? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I am aware now that you're a person that likes structure. So I am. I hope yes. I didn't throw you into um, no, no, the throes no, no. of anxiety. I literally only spent an hour this morning writing notes for this conversation. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So moving on to wildcard questions. Okay. So basically, this is your chance uh, for you to choose what I ask you next. Okay. Right. Okay. So we have holiday destinations. Mm-hmm. We have Spotify playlists. Ooh. 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 And we have alternate paths. Right. Mm. I feel like I've talked about alternate paths mm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A Spotify playlist might be quite a fun one. All right. So I want you to tell me what's on your Spotify playlist right now. 
what are you listening to mm-hmm. and what is one of your guilty pleasures? Guilty pleasure is very easy. It's a Disney's greatest playlist that I created for myself for usually when I'm house cleaning um, oh, okay. or sometimes report writing. Let um, it go, let it go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just find little phrases of Disney in my reports occasionally by accident. <laughs> so that's a guilty pleasure and I have to play it quite loudly when my husband isn't around. Another guilty pleasure is definitely ABBA. Which that's, is, <laughs> that, that, that's my answer. Ah, my guilty pleasure was, is definitely ABBA. Yeah. I was not allowed ABBA. At my, well, I think we got around it, but Nick said there was an embargo on ABBA at the wedding, which I thought was really harsh. <laughs> I was like, why am I marrying this man? Um, what I music think we did got, you have at your at Oh, we, It was very sophisticated. We had a jazz quartet do sort of uh, Dixieland jazz. Nice. That was the only live music we had. And then we had, well, we had Meatloaf for Nick. Uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> him and his friends at the end of the evening got very emotional to, to Meatloaf. Uh, we had we had all sorts. We had um, we had the sort of sophisticated bit at the beginning, which was sort of Fred Astaire, Ella Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. um, and some um, Django Reinhardt, that sort of thing. Yep. And then as as the evening descended into sort of Bond themes and um, Spice Girl medleys, and uh, <laughs> oh, you got to have the Spice what. Girls, yeah. yes, that yes. always makes an appearance. Um, what I'm listening to at the moment, I think I'm I'm realizing I'm a sort of closet country folk fan that I didn't know before so I'm getting very into uh, Joan Baez, Judy Collins, Barbara Keith I've just discovered okay. um, and yeah I mean I'll listen to anything I what think. What sort um, of era are those artists? I 60s, don't know. 60s, 70s. Okay see I, um, um, I'm not up with the play clearly mm-hmm. here but luckily you're here to enlighten me. Oh, well, How did I'll you stumble across that? Was that one of the Spotify um, you may like this? I things. never go with that because I have this very I, I don't like listening to music I don't know. I I I can't have it on in the background. I have if I'm going to listen to something new, I really have to be listening. Mm-hmm. So I, if I'm just having music on in the background, it has to be stuff I know. So usually it's recommendations from friends. Okay. Um, yeah. I had a friend at uni who introduced me to soul. That was a big part of. A friendship with uh, my dear friend Anna. She introduced me to Nina Simone, Aretha Franklin, awesome. Sam yep. Cooke, all these people. So that was through uni. And then I think that the Joan Baez and Joni Mitchell was sort of an extension of that. But uh, yeah, I will listen to anything. I mean, I grew up in a house where we only really listened to classical music. So I'm kind of 30 years behind everyone else. And um, <laughs> people said, because I said, I just didn't listen to pop music in the 90s. And they're like, yeah, but you must have listened to No, I didn't. Oh, and then the lyrics come on and like, I have no idea what this piece is. I've got is. a friend like that. And when, when we got her like at uni, we were yes. like, right, we've got to educate you yeah, on like yeah, yeah, yeah. the 90s and 2000s. Nick has <laughs> sort of taken that on, on, on board as well. Anytime I watch a film and I say to him, this is a wonderful song, it's... it's I don't know if you know it, but it's, it's it's by this artist called Kate Bush. It's like everybody, like, yeah. Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 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 always trying to widen my uh, my listening horizons, if you like. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes though, it is just nice to put on something that you know. Yes, and yes. it's it's like a cushion, isn't it? What's interesting, I don't know if you feel this as a musician. Is what I listen to is not. And, and what I really love to listen to is not usually what I really love to play. So mm. I would very rarely put on chamber music but I absolutely adore it and I would play it and I'd love it and but I wouldn't I, I, maybe that's not true but I I would I you know to play I would always go towards quartets and mm-hmm. um but to listen I would nearly always listen to opera if I'm you know if really? I'm listening to classical music well yeah I mean there is a distinct uh, difference between playing mm-hmm. opera yes in, in the pit 
as yes. a cellist, yes. playing all those downbeats oh, and yes. listening to the whole oh, yes. <laughs> thing, yes, isn't it? Yes, true. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoy listening to chamber music. Mm-hmm. It kind of does put that fire in my belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes mm-hmm. me think, oh, I really, really want to do this. Yeah. I've started listening to the Brahms G major sextet. Just every time I listen to it, I'm like, <gasps> i got to play this. Yes. And luckily enough, I am playing it in October. Oh, so wonderful. I've got I suppose you've already to. got a cellist in that, have you? Or? Yes, I believe if so. They <laughs> get mysteriously ill for any reason, then uh, <laughs> their thumbs you know. go haywire or something. Yes. That's a wonderful piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome piece. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing Absolute your pleasure. experiences. I just really hope that listeners can relate to the things that you've said and to be inspired to go out there and, and seek help if necessary because yes. this is something that affects all of us. We've all been there Absolutely, and yes. we need to keep talking about it. Yes, definitely. So um, yes. have you got anything exciting coming up and where can people follow you? Oh, right. Okay. Well, I am on Twitter, although I... I think I've only tweeted once and that was because I, I was tweeting Deborah Francis-White. Yes, I am on Twitter uh, and I think I'm Maddie Ridd on there. But if you want to find that Maddie my, with a Y? With a Y, yes. Yeah, and two Ds. And two Ds. But if you want to buy my children's book, please do. It's called <laughs> Millie's Brilliant Birthday Plan. If you Google that, it will come up with a link to buy that through yep. Black Pear Press. And International publisher. Posting because my nephew has a copy. It is now being read across the world. Yeah. Yes. You've yes, gone global. Very, I have gone global. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a copy time. in New Zealand right right now which gives me so much joy but I'm, I'm not great with uh, social media so there might not be that much around but uh, who knows that might yep. all change but, cool well yes. we will definitely do some plugs on thank your you behalf. thank you so much for being on the pod it's an absolute pleasure thank you Davina cool that was the excellent Madeline Ridd You weren't expecting that, were you? She's an author and an illustrator. What a champ. Since our chat, she's told me she's now working on sketches for a Millie sequel. So watch this space and I'll put a link to where you can purchase Millie's brilliant birthday plan in the show notes. It's a great present for the four or five-year-old in your life or if you just fancy a nice light holiday read. I'm so lucky to call Maddie both a friend and colleague. A few weeks after our conversation, we were booked on a cello duo gig together, and it was a great day, despite playing outside in 34-degree heat. Yes, it does get hot here sometimes. And me severely losing my sight-reading chops by the end of the gig. We're so uh, hashtag blessed as musicians to be working with our friends a lot of the time, and it's definitely something that keeps me going. This week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me comes from cellist Patrick Johnson. He writes, Music College didn't prepare me for that time I was playing in an orchestra that was touring the Welsh town of Aberystwyth. One of the pieces we were performing was Strauss's Champagne Polka, which in this version featured the percussionist having to tap a champagne glass and let it ring. Unfortunately, the glass had shattered earlier on in the piece, leaving the poor player without an instrument to play. In desperation, unable to find anything else to strike to produce a sound, he resorted, amongst the orchestral tutti, to saying the word, ding, out loud. (laughs) Needless to say, music college certainly didn't prepare me, nor the rest of the orchestra, for having to deal with a severe case of the giggles as we fudged our way through the rest of the piece, corpsing it in front of a live audience. (laughs) Thanks, Patrick, for that contribution. There's something quite painful about getting the giggles in an inappropriate place. 
It's definitely happened to me before, and the more you try to stop, the more you sort of feel like you're going to explode. Yeah, we've all been there. If you haven't experienced that music college didn't prepare you for, then tell me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Your story could feature at the end of an episode in my Kiwi accent. Australian on request? Uh, That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Dan Elms for my jingle. Massive thanks to Madeline Ridd for sharing her inspiring story. I hope you found something you could relate to, or I hope it made you feel less unusual with your experiences. It's so important to talk to each other, so make sure to check in with yourself and your peers to ensure you're all okay. Remember, we're not alone. And finally, thank you for listening. I've absolutely loved hearing your feedback on the podcast so far, so keep it coming. You can email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at asitcomespod. Remember to subscribe, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. Chat to you soon. Bye. How many apricots do you put onto your cereal? Well, that's an interesting question, Davina. I take three apricots and I divide them into four segments. But controversially, I have five grapes, which I halve. So it's not an exact ratio of okay. grape to apricot. So you've got yeah. 10 to 12. 10 to 12, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I try to alternate mouthfuls. I'm going to sound so OCD, but I alternate mouthfuls with grape and mouthfuls with apricot. I choreograph the way I eat as well. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like more comfortable doing that because I don't like to be left at the end of a meal with too much of one thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Also, with something like, say, I was eating, which obviously I don't very often, but a, a huge chocolate pudding with a melting centre, mm. I have to eat round the edge so that the melting centre is the last bit that I eat because that's the best bit. Oh, okay. So You, you don't try and uh, incorporate that with the Little bits, little bits, but I do want to have a really satisfying last yeah. mouthful that will, you know, stay with me. Mm-hmm. Would you so. lick the plate clean? <laughs> um, if I'm on my own, possibly. <laughs> well, less washing up to Secrets do. Secrets of the trade. Yeah. <laughs>